Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at existing financial planning professionals, as well as those looking to enter the financial planning profession. This particular series of podcasts is focusing on financial planning businesses. We share new ideas and challenge your thought processes to help you improve your service to your clients. We have some amazing guests lined up, helping you look at things very differently. I hope that you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And in today's podcast, we're continuing on to look at lots of business aspects for financial planners, budding entrepreneurs out there. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, and that is Brett Davidson from FP Advance. Welcome, Brett. Hey, Jackie. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. And we have got lots and lots of questions. I've got lots and lots of questions to ask you um, about all sorts of things business related. And I want to delve around in your memory banks and and also share some of your experiences that you've had over uh, quite a few years now, isn't it? Helping financial planning firms build more robust businesses. And, uh, you know, you've concentrated quite a lot on smaller financial planning businesses haven't you yeah i think i think where we're really strong is we're helping people go from after they've got through the startup phase you know one in that next stage of the journey where they're trying to get through half a million a million two million pounds plus of revenue i think we're good at giving people a a solid start yeah Yeah. So let's take you right back to the start and ask you about how did you get involved in the financial planning profession at all? And more specifically, how did you get involved in helping businesses develop um, to be more robust long-term businesses? Yeah, I'll I'll try and keep this short. So I I joined the Australian industry January 91. It was George Bush's first Gulf War. I remember that was on the TV. and George Bush Senior. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I was a commission-only insurance agent uh, with AMP. Uh, that was horrendous. Uh, but I joined, a, I've been recruited by a practice that was pretty forward-thinking. Uh, this is the short version. Fast forward a few years, we were, I'll say, early adopters of the financial planning model. It made perfect sense to us. Uh, so, we we Uh, sort of changed our business. I got brought in as a partner after a few years of being on on my own under that structure. I got invited in as a partner, but I was the succession plan. Uh, We changed our business and and some headline numbers. You know, we had uh, 8,000, I'll call them clients, but it was names in a database. Probably 5,000 of those were general insurance clients because we had a general insurance practice. The other 3,000 were life and pensions. Um, A couple of years later, uh, we ended up with, um, oh, sorry, that so that business with 8,000 names, turning over about 400,000 Australian, um, you know, uh, a few years later, like seven years down the track, we had 250 clients uh, and were turning over 1.3 million Australian. Wow. Uh, and that was the transformation, you know, to a financial planning business model. Yeah. Uh, so then yeah. I, I fell out with my business partner uh, on Future Direction after being there. I'd been there for like 14 years. Uh, and then moved to the UK uh, with my wife, who's who's English. And uh, when I got here, 
I started to try and find the financial planning community. Now, this was 2004, April 2004. As you know, back then, it was a uh, you know a substantial but small group of people in the IFP community um, until I found the IFP, Nick Can and the IFP and, all, and, and people like yourself. Um, yeah, it was a bit like, still looked a bit like the Wild West. Once I found the financial planners, you know, uh, I was then able to bring my experiences uh, into that community and and you know they they seemed to add value to people who were also on that journey of transitioning from an old school model to a financial planning model yes because i guess we were post just post rdr and uh, and then post pensions freedoms at that time as well um later on i think i think so. actually it was yeah, it was pre pre rdr oh, yes so you got so you're kind of right in with, with kind of history repeating itself, essentially. So you're bringing your skills to the bear, to the forefront on helping, you know, smaller business owners, you know, start to grow their business and get the proper structures involved. And I read recently, you've been, you're a regular publisher of blogs, aren't you? Um, and trying to, you know, help the financial planning community kind of think a little bit differently. And one of the blogs I was reading just a short, just a few weeks ago was about, um, you wrote about being a chameleon won't help you excel in business. And it really struck a chord with me because I'm seeing, you know, I've seen quite a lot of people who've got very similar websites, trying to be all things to all people um, and saying, you know, we're a, we're a one-stop shop and, you know, just come to us and, you know, you can trust us kind of thing. And it, you know, why do you think that so many businesses appear to be the same? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. And, and I'm going to chuck in an expression I've heard on a few US uh, podcasts and webinars recently. They describe it as the sea of sameness. Uh, if you're a consumer trying to find an advisor, I mean, do this exercise yourself. Go onto Google, put in your postcode and say, find me a financial planner and see what comes up. Right? It's frightening uh, and completely useless if you're a, a, you know, someone who's not an industry insider. Um, but why, why do businesses end up looking like this? Um, I think, yeah, my best guess is there's, there's a few reasons. I think one is most people are copying everyone else, uh, which when you think that most people don't know what they're doing, that's probably a really bad strategy. But hey, it doesn't stop us going there and doing it. There's safety in sameness. Uh, you know, people are scared to stand out. I think the second thing is um, planners, advisors, generally speaking, haven't, haven't identified their niche you know, who they should, who they love to serve. That's the expression we ask clients is who do you love to serve? Now, the, the information is in their client data. If they look at their top 10 clients, that's probably their target market. And there might be a niche or two in those top 10 clients. They may not all be the same. Um, but people then look further down the list and see all these other types of clients and think, well, hang on a second, I serve everyone. Uh, which is just just not true. If you look at your top 10 clients and think, who are the people in there I love, who love me, uh, who listen to our advice, pay our fees happily, uh, you will identify your niche. And, and I think the smart firms, and there's very few of these from a marketing point of view, are going very narrow and, and staking their claim to be 
an expert in a very narrow, you know, group of people or a narrow area. Uh, and for me, you know, that's the thing that every firm should be doing, uh, but hardly anyone does. And I, I suspect a lot of that is just fear-based. People worry that if they go this narrow, that they might put themselves out of business. In fact, the opposite is true. Uh, they will find lots more business because they can become a go-to expert in the space. And I th- that's a really good point. And because I think, you know, when you say the word niche, it, you know, it, it kind of conjures up for me anyway, a kind of tiny, tiny, tiny slither. Um, <laughs> you know, can you be too niche or can you be slightly bigger than niche and still be successful? You know, what, what do you really mean by niche? Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess, you know, I, I, I don't buy this concept that you can be too narrow. Like you'll know if you're too narrow, you'll be getting no business, right? So that, that'll last about a week and a half and you can change it, but that that's not likely to happen. Most firms, when we say, look, what's your niche? They'll say people at retirement. I'm thinking, well, mate, that's not a niche. Like every advisor works with at retirement clients. So, so what's, what's unique about that? But you know, a niche um, is defined, I guess, by you know a common set of values, common needs or problems or challenges that they face. Um, and when you look at your own client data, you can usually identify you know groups of people that you've by accident found yourself to be very good at serving. Uh, I mean, I always tell the story, Jackie. Back in my old business, we had a consultant, this lady Christine Bull, who was fantastic. And she nudged us for two years, right, to go and do some client segmentation and dig in our data. I don't know why we resisted for so long, but we did. But when we looked in our client data, we realized that something like 80% of our clients either were or had been the owners of small businesses. Now, the reason we didn't pick it up is because we saw a huge chunk of people were retired. We thought retirees were our clients. But what we learned when we looked deeper was that most of our retirees were retired small business owners. And the ones that weren't retired were small business owners too. And so, you know, we had a doctor, we had a teacher, we had an accountant, we had these other people that made us think we dealt across the spectrum. But when you dug deeper into the data, there there was clearly a, a huge chunk of people that we connected with. Um, and, you know, eventually we started to get clearer on, you know, uh, targeting and serving that group of people. And I guess prod wouldn't really pick up that, would it? Because prod and the the guidance around that given out by the regulator would just be honing in on, you know, if you're looking at your retirement clients, segmenting your client bank in a way to service them, not looking back at the kind of the businesses they run or the jobs that they had done in the past. Yeah, and and with all due respect, I wouldn't be paying any attention to prod at all if I was focusing in on running a great business and my marketing. Don't get me wrong, I might have to reverse engineer and check some boxes at the end, but this is this is as simple as forget regulation and forget marketing doctrine. This is as simple as who do I love to serve? Is is there a rump of people, a chunk of people in my client bank? Maybe it's not 80%. Maybe it's just a big chunk that make up 40% of your clients and the other 60 are varied. But that 40% is clearly a group of people that you connect with, that you understand, and you by now probably know lots about their pain points and their challenges. Could that be something that you, you niche around and focus your marketing around? 
because yeah. generic marketing just does not work. Yeah. And I guess those people, you know, it, it could be even as, as you mentioned earlier, that the people that you love to serve, the people that you naturally are drawn to, because I guess everybody from, if you are starting your own business, I remember you saying many years ago that, you know, you start your own financial planning business and you say, well, I'll take any client who can miss the mirror, essentially. And then you, you've got to kind of move on from that. And this is about, you know, being being harsh and, you know, that reality that you've got to look back and say, okay, well, that was then, but this is now. And in order to have a successful or build a more successful business in the future, then I'm going to have to be more focused in what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think, I think this is an important distinction you've, you've highlighted there. Like if you've just started up or you're in that first phase where really you are fighting for survival, then yeah, take anyone, right? That's the advice. Just like get through that phase. But, but I think you're right, further down the track, and this is really, this is, this is a message for people who are, who are focused on trying to be more, um, more successful. And I'm going to say this in a holistic way. Yes, that will entail financial success, but it's about being fulfilled. It's about becoming an expert in an area. Uh, it's about running a business that's, that's neat and tidy so that you can have some lifestyle as well then I do think you have to choose who am I going to serve and that might well mean you've got to let go of some other people that are decent, lovely people. You love them, they love you, but yeah. you're thinking, you know what, this does not fit where I'm going. Now, there'll be lots of advisors who are going, Brett, I don't want to do that and I, I respect that view. So I think the message we're talking about today is for the others who are going, you know what, yes, I do want to push on. Uh, and I've got some ambition and I want to keep going further and, and create something that's different and better than that. But if you don't want to do that, then there's no need to, to do any of the stuff we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. So horses for courses. And it may be that, you know, as time goes on, if you're at a different stage of developing your business or even, you know, starting your business at the moment, that these are things to think about, you know, to still have in your mind that you might not need now in your armory, but you probably will need in the future if you intend to build a bigger business. I guess some people, I know I can think of a few financial planners out there who kind of work in their business, not on it. Um, so I guess if you're in your business and you're serving the people you like anyway, then, you know, that's okay, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think look, it's, it's got to be okay. Everyone's got to do what, what floats their boat. And I, I think your point about this may come up down the road for many people. So you could be in that place where you're saying, man, I'm as happy as Larry doing what I'm doing, serving all these people. That's great. But typically, the reason this issue comes up, and it's where the people coming through our, our Uncover Your Business Potential program start having to address this, like it or not, is that you're a victim of your own success. You end up with so many clients that it becomes unworkable and it either means hiring a lot more people and advisors, which most people, you know, small business owners who are trying to find this balance of life and success don't always want to do. And so the other option is then you've got to get a bit clearer and a bit more focused about who you serve. And so I think eventually this issue sort of slaps you in the face, even if you yeah. choose to ignore it. 
And I wonder whether the pandemic has highlighted this issue for a lot of people, because there's probably quite a lot of financial planners out there who've been working all the hours and then, you know, having to work at home, spending more time at home, um, you know, has has made a lot of people kind of press the pause button, hasn't it? And reevaluate their the quality of their own lives. Yeah, I think so. And and again, I think the pandemic's just another uh you know, um, poking the ribs perhaps for that. You know, it's, I think it's got us certainly thinking, all of us thinking about that. Um, but there's, you, you know, Jackie, there's so many issues will come up in your business life um, as you hit whatever your next ceiling of complexity is. You know, the answers at that next level are rarely the same as they were at the previous level. And that's yeah. the challenge of being in business is you're having to come up with a new approach and a new strategy, a new structure, new staffing requirements, new tech requirements to crack that next level or otherwise you just stay stuck, yeah. um, you know, in, in a difficult place, um, you know, if you don't solve those issues. Yeah. So one of the other things that you wrote about in your blog was to have your own point of view in business. Tell us about why you think people should do that. Yeah, I think this one is just to make your marketing life uh, easy, and and people people want to know, people want to connect with people that sort of see the world the way that they do, and and I guess you know social media for for better or worse has driven that trend, hasn't it? It's easy to find people you love and hate online, uh, but people are looking for people to connect with uh, like them, and in marketing, you know if if you're if you're not a natural uh, controversial uh, attention seeker, as an example, there's some people who are really good at that. I don't say that disparagingly. I just say there's some people who seem to be able to own that space uh, and attract you know millions and millions of people who love their their controversial way of being. Um, that's not really me, and that's not lots of people. So I'm going to have to find something else to hang my hat on from a marketing point of view. Now, the easiest thing to do is to think, well, you know, what am I like as a person? What do I believe in as a person? And just put that out into the marketplace and let people find me. You know, that was the approach I took from day one when I came to the UK was I thought I'm going to I'm gonna have a pool marketing strategy where I just put out information and a point of view and the people that like it or resonate with it can get in touch because I hate I hate cold calling, ringing people up, trying to sell stuff. Uh, even today, you know, that's something I just don't really love to do. If we have to do it, sometimes we do. But generally speaking, we're trying to just put out that point of view. And I think advisors can do the same. If you're a quirky individual, then make your marketing quirky to reflect you. If you're a uber professional person, make your marketing uber professional uh, if you are controversial and don't mind going out on a limb, then be that person, you know, 110%. There will be an audience of people that love that. Um, what we have to live with when we when we take that position is that, you know, probably half the world's going to love us and half the world's going to hate our guts. And that's just <laughs> something you've got to live with, right? Yes. And I guess that's – but for some people, I think a lot of financial planners came – 
to this profession to help people. And that actually is quite a big psychological hurdle to get over, isn't it? Because, you know, we we want to help everyone. We want to help as many people as we can. So to to steer your business and your marketing strategy to basically annoy <laughs> up to half of the people who might see it is um is is quite it's quite something to be able to take it takes quite a lot of courage, I think, to be able to take that step. Yeah, but understand you're not writing stuff to piss people off, right? It's just going to happen by default, right? I mean, look, I, I could go to a dinner party and, and clash with someone who has a different view to I to what I have. It doesn't mean they're right or wrong or I'm right or wrong. It's just we have different views. Um, and, you know, if people are focused on helping people, then this is the easiest marketing strategy in the world. Just write about stuff that will be helpful to your target clients. I mean, the ultimate example of this, I think, is Pete Matthew. You know, look at what he's done with Meaningful Money. Now, now people might look at that and go, my God, I could never do what Pete's done. Well, yeah, but like, look where he started 10 or 15 years ago, whenever it was, he just started putting out videos to help people. And now it's a powerful marketing force. You can be the same if you're a startup advisor, write blogs, do videos, do podcasts, create YouTube stuff that helps people solve their problems, um, you know, for free, give it away. And what you'll find is eventually you become the font of wisdom and people will come back to you and say, mate, can you help me do this better? And that leads me on nicely to ask you about creating your own content, because I know I, you are on record as saying that financial planners should spend a you know, sizable part of their week creating their own content rather than subcontracting it to you know, a, mark, a professional, another marketing firm. Um, what, why, why is that? Because I guess if, you know, for a lot of financial planners, they're thinking, you know, I want to be spending my time seeing clients and building my business. Um, and maybe I'm not really a great marketeer. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to write or something like that. You know, I just don't seem to have enough time. So how, what advice would you give to, to the financial planners in that situation? Yeah, I think, let me clarify why I've said that. And I stand by this, um, but it's a bit more nuanced. So, so I'm not a fan of outsourcing like your blogging or your regular communication with your clients to the marketing firms. Now, let's, let's be clear, the marketing firms do a very good job on this. But the problem is, it's not, not your point of view. It's talking about generic issues. Uh, and it's never going to capture the knowledge and the nuance that you have about your client, your specific clients. Like even if I work with business owners and you work with business owners, I dare say, Jackie, if we wrote 10 blogs, they're all going to come at it from a slightly different point of view. You're going to express it in your words and your way, as am I. And there's an audience of people out there who love the way you say it. And there's an audience who love the way I say it. And that's missing if we've both outsourced it to Philbrate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so really my, my, my yeah. point is I do understand, like, not everyone loves to do this. Perhaps most people don't love to do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. But my point was if you can brief the copywriter or the person who's going to draft the content with real client stories, right, what you've done at the coalface last week or the week before, if you can do that, you will end up then at least with copywritten material 
that's really honed in on the issues that you're identifying in your clients. So you can get help, but I don't think you can outsource it completely. No. And I guess it because you've got to reflect your own personality in it, haven't you? You do. Yeah. Yeah. And so what kinds, if financial planners were trying to kind of revisit their marketing or take control of some aspects of their marketing, what kind of mediums do you think would be the best place for them to start? Is it is it writing blogs? Because I know that video is becoming ever more popular now. Uh, podcasts like this one or, you know, every man and his dog. You know, somebody said to me the other day, if you don't drive a, a Tesla, you haven't got one of those uni outside of um, pizza ovens, um, then, uh, you know, you're not a fan. You haven't got a podcast and you're not a financial planner. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so, so I think I think the the where I've got to on this. I, look, I think video is super powerful. I think all the evidence says that video is really powerful. So that would be a great medium. But if video just isn't you, I think find the medium that you love, and you'll notice. Like whilst we're doing more video at FP Advance, I still do a lot of writing. That's my that's my preferred medium. Um, you know, we've made an effort to branch out because we, we're trying to reach people in different ways. But it usually, the videos start as something I've written that we then turn into a video, not I sit there and think about what am I going to do on a video. And so I think you can work with whatever works for you. There will be people out there who do no video and you, no written blogs who just podcast who are killing it uh, and vice versa. There'll be others who haven't moved into video or podcasts who are writing who are still killing it. So I think it's not about the medium. It's using the medium that that I think primarily you love if this is an effort for you, right? If this, if marketing is not an effort for you, then all right, use the medium that's going to interact best with your clientele. But if you're a, a typical financial planner who's going, mate, I don't love this shit, right? Do, do the thing that works best for you and just know that you will still get to people that way. Yeah. And and I think also don't be afraid to try something new because I have to say since launching these podcasts I was I didn't think anybody would listen to me to be honest or come and talk to me. Um but I I've had an absolute whale of a time doing them. And so you know they I think, you know, factual planners shouldn't be afraid of this, you know, all these different mediums out there doing vlogs and blogs and videos and all sorts of different things. It it's it is about the message and if you're passionate then I think people people will take that on board, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and also don't don't look at what's out in the marketplace and think I can never do that. Um, there's there's a an entrepreneur, a female entrepreneur, uh, Marie Folio, that my wife has followed. I've seen a bit of her stuff over the years. But you you look at um, if you go and Google Marie Folio and have a look at the quality of her stuff now, it's amazing. But you can go back and find her early, early days YouTube stuff. And, you know, um, it was interesting, but it's certainly not the production value she's got now. That's where she started from. And she's hugely successful. You know, start where you can. You will learn as you go. Uh, when you go and do some filming, give yourself way more time than you think. Uh, let yourself do it badly 27 different ways until you find the way that works. But that won't last very long. That's that's three months, six months of work, and then it's gone. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's great advice. Do it wrong 27 different ways. I'm on my, I don't know how many, 20-something different ways, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> 
And I, and I think, you know, the whole purpose of, you know, over the years, we've been very reluctant to get out there and sell our services. And that is really what financial planners need to do, isn't it? To differentiate themselves, to stand out from a crowd and actually don't be afraid to embrace, you know, to be a seller as in the seller of good quality financial planning services. And do you think that there are so many, well, I think there's so many financial planners out there who, you know, hide in their light under a bush because they're introverted and they can't get their message out there or they feel like they can't get their message out there because they they kind of, you know, over the years, we've, we've kind of steered away from using that term sell as in sell your services. So, for those of us who are a little more shy, um, what what are the things that, that we could do? I guess, it, it you know, starting with those, you know, your favourite mediums to get your messages out there and don't be afraid that a number of people just aren't going to like you. Yeah, and, and like part of this is a, uh, a personal growth exercise. I, I don't think anyone, well, maybe that's not true, maybe there's a few, but I think the vast majority of us uh, in the financial planning community um, are not not naturally looking to run out there and and spruik our wares to the to the public. But again, I think if you forget, don't think sales. Think helping people. Right, this works for financial planners because that's what we're good at. Think helping people. Think putting out information that will be valuable to people. Right, that's marketing, and uh, and that's all you need to do. And when you think about it that way, I think it changes everything. I'm not selling anything now. I'm just providing quality information. And eventually, that will that will become, uh, I believe, you know, a flow of work into my business. But I think, look, the other thing, if you're a bit introverted, and this is where you could go and buy some help from the marketing people out there, is let your clients do the talking for you. Like even even now, most most clients could explain financial planning better than most financial planners, and that's yeah. just because we're too close to it. It's very difficult to define. It's very difficult to explain. But when your clients get recorded on a video or a podcast talking about the value they've received, it's it's the subtext of that. It's the way they say it. It's the it's the enthusiasm and I don't know the love with which they express how valuable what you did for them was. That's what makes the sale for other people to think. You know what? This sounds great. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to go and check it out. And so you can get the marketing firms to help you do that. You can just give them some client names. You can you can introduce them, and the marketers will go and do the interviews, the recordings, and package all that up for you. And I think that's 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 another way to not have to do loads of that yourself. Yeah, and I guess you know they're genuine voices, and you can tell whether they're actors or genuine people, can't you? In those kind of videos, Ab- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. Let's. We're coming up to the end of our, our conversation. Although I'm, we're definitely going to have more conversations, I'm sure. Um, but can you give us three, couple, two or three tips for those people who want to develop their financial planning businesses and make some serious headway? Now we're coming out of the pandemic. Everybody's kind of, you know, chomping at the bit to get stuff done. And where where should they prioritise their stuff to get done to be more successful for the future? Look, my, my belief, uh, and I guess it's why I do what I do, but my belief is if you want to be uh, really great in financial planning and you want to make an impact, 
then you have to become a great business person. You know, most planners out there are already pretty great planners, but you can be a great planner and get stuck at 200,000 of revenue uh, and not really be making a massive impact in the world. It's not that there's anything wrong with that if that's what you want to do, but if you're stuck there by default, that that sort of eats me up a bit. I see good planners stuck at 300,000 or 500,000 or 700,000 and they want to do more, they want to make a bigger impact. The way to do that is to become a great business person and you've just got to learn some skills. They're not difficult, but you have to master those skills if you want to be able to then unpick your own problems in the future and keep breaking through to those next levels. And you know, you look at firms like uh, Carbon Financial and uh, Paradigm Norton, uh, you know, Cooper Parry, these places, you know, these are, these are run by people who've taken on board that business mindset. Now, in all three of those examples, and there's plenty of others, but in those examples, the owners are deeply committed to financial planning. They haven't sold their soul to get bigger and, and badder and make a bigger impact but they've certainly invested time and energy in becoming great business people. And I think, you know, that's, that's the one tip for me that if you want to enjoy your financial planning journey as well, a bit of business mastery doesn't hurt. Where would you start doing that? Um, Some good books? Yeah, I think certainly wide reading. I mean, I'll tell you another thing I love. I mean, I don't know if this is just what I love, but Harvard Business Review, I subscribe to the mag and don't get me wrong, I flick through it, right? There's lots of stories in there that are aimed at, you know, uh, big companies, but even some of those, occasionally there's a story in there going, mate, that applies to us. You know, let's. it really helps with keeping you dialed into the way people are thinking about um, addressing different issues. And, and some of that's fairly cutting edge that those articles get published when these are relatively new ideas. And I think feeding your brain with, with there probably is a list of 20 great books for small business owners to read, read all those, but something like Harvard Business Review, um, you know, uh, looking at, looking at uh, businesses in other sectors, you know, how are they solving problems? What are they doing? Just read widely, dip yourself into other places and let your brain, your brain will connect the dots for you, right? You don't have to do it consciously. It will yeah. just eventually all start to make sense. Yeah, lovely. Brett, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Jackie. It's been a pleasure to be on here. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really interesting, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view about different things, all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it from me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things Certified Financial Planner related and also dropping in on our new entrants to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.